Well, good morning, everyone. Let's try that again. Good morning, everyone. All right. We're awake. We're awake. It's so good to see you guys. Um, I have preached, I think, the last three times from my desk, from multiple uh, phases of quarantines, and I was going through um, some old uh, um, memories on Twitter from at the early part of the pandemic, and I remember retweeting a pastor who said, Lord, forgive me for all the times I complained about coming to church in person in 2019, given you know the time of how, how weird things have been during the pandemic. But it's really, really great to be back here and to see your guys' faces this morning. Um, and a lot of that's because there are a lot of exciting things going on today that we'll talk more about um, at the end of uh, at the end of our our, our service today um, for our our Mexico team fundraiser. Our youth group uh, Mexico team is getting ready to leave uh, for a one week mission trip this Friday, which is really exciting. And so um, I'm just glad to see all your faces. Like we have the world's greatest like technological team here, and they like would set up the camera so I could see you as I preach from my desk. But it's like <clears throat> the faces are like this big and it's like not the same. And then I would talk to people during the week and they're like, oh, yeah, I was there. And I was like, oh, sorry, I couldn't make out anyone's face. So it's it's really good to see everyone here. Um, I wanted to start by sharing, uh, start today's message by sharing about a friend of mine um, who I served with at my church while I was in seminary down in L.A. And so he and I were the two church interns. And this guy was so passionate about like the things he was most interested in. Like, do you guys have that friend who, like, as soon as the subject, like their favorite subject comes up, they just like can't stop talking about it. Like, do you know that person? So for him, it was rock music. It was like, if you, and then as time went on, we realized he would talk about the Red Hot Chili Peppers or Thrice or Foo Fighters, and a lot of you are like, I wasn't born when these bands were like a thing. But like, as if you mentioned any of them, it would just like set him off, his face would change, and he would just be like, just like brimming with excitement to talk about all of these bands that he was like really, really into. And we came up with a, we, there were a few, there was a situation and a joke that we came up with um, to deal with my friend Jay. We were like, Unless you're ready to get into a five-minute high-energy conversation, don't mention the Red Hot Chili Peppers or the Foo Fighters or Thrice or whoever, all his favorite bands, because he's just going to go on and on because he can't help but talk about them, right? And then the other joke that we came up with, we're like, man, like because, you know, it's a seminary. We're studying to become pastors, and we said, man, Jay, if imagine, like, if you like told as many people about Jesus as you did about the Foo Fighters, like I think Jesus would have come back by now because of all the excitement that you have, right? And that was the joke that we kind of had just to kind of capture his excitement for just talking about something that was really important to him. We're going to see a similar situation in our passage this morning that I think is life-changing. And this is week two of, last week we read the first half of the story of the woman at the well in John chapter four. And so we'll do some review in case you weren't here last week or if you're unfamiliar with the story. But just as my friend Jay could not wait to talk about rock music in all kinds of ways, you see this woman at the well who has a very troubled past, who meets Jesus and then cannot help 
but want to go and tell people about him. It's a pretty amazing story. And I, um, it fits into our series that we've been doing. We've been doing a series called God Puts the Lonely in Families. And as we have seen how the effects of the pandemic have made us more isolated than ever before, when the introduction to the series, Daniel rattled off a whole bunch of statistics about how uh, lonely people feel. And the amazing thing about that was all of the studies that he was referencing were actually before the pandemic. And it's only been amplified by the time that we've spent away from each other in the safety of our own homes, depending on the season of the quarantine. No one's experienced that more than I have in the last month as I've been away from you guys and it's just really great to see everyone's faces. And I can say, especially at the first half of quarantine number one, it really did wear on my mental state and how I would feel about things because you guys know me, I'm a deep extrovert. I enjoy spending time with people, especially my brothers and sisters in Christ here. And it was excruciating to be stuck in one room by myself. And I know many of you have experienced that throughout the course of the pandemic. And you can see just how challenging that's been. That's why God put it on our hearts to do a series where in the book of Psalms, it talks about how God is a father to the fatherless, a defender of widows, in his, and God is in his holy dwelling. And here's the key phrase that uh, is the, the key verse for our series, where it says, God sets the lonely in families. He leads out the prisoners with singing, but the rebellious live in a sun-scorched land. We're going to continue to talk about this verse in our series, but today is part two in seeing how the woman at the well is such a perfect example of this verse, how God puts people who are lonely into a community where it's life-changing. We've said that we want to answer or we want to kind of prove this verse to be true in two ways. The first way is how God brings us into a relationship with himself. And we've talked about how God, the triune God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, there are so many ways that each of the three members of the Trinity want to be involved in our lives. And we've talked about who each of these three members of the Trinity are to show us how God wants to have this relationship with us. And then secondly, the way we're going to talk about it, where we've, we've briefly touched on it, but we're going to go more so, is how this results in us being in a new community with other believers. A community I'm very glad to be with in person and present with today because it just brings so much great meaning. And so those are the two ways we want to prove this verse to be true, this theme verse of our series. And I think it's true for the woman at the well. So I'm going to read our passage for this morning. This is the second half of the story, and I want to read all the verses up front just so we have a, a good sense of the story, and then we'll go back and talk about these. Um, if you've got your Bibles, you could go to John chapter 4. Um, it'll be up here on the screen as well, and we are going to read from verses 27 to 42. And so if, um, if you don't know the context, we'll come back to it and see the situation, um, but we're going to start in verse 27 here. Just then his, referring to Jesus, just then his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman. But no one asked, what do you want? Or why are you talking with her? Then leaving her water jar, the woman, woman went back to, to the town and said to the people, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? They came out of the town and made their way toward him. And meanwhile, his disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat something. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. Then his disciples said to each other, could someone have brought him food? 
My food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Don't you have a saying, it's still four months until harvest. I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. Even now, the one who reaps draws a wage and harvests a crop for eternal life, so that the sower and the reaper may be glad together. Thus the saying, one sows and another reaps, is true. I sent you to reap what you have not worked for, and others have done the hard work, and you have reaped the benefits of their labor. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. They said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this man really is the Savior of the world. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. And God, we thank you for how this story captured by the Apostle John helps us see your heart for people, how you seek and save those, especially who are outcasted in society. And God, it's such a great picture of how you want to meet people, us included, in our loneliness, in our isolation, in the ways where we might feel cast out from the world or from whatever it might be. And God, that you want to know us and that you want us to experience the hope of knowing you and having new life. God, I pray that you'd be opening our hearts now as we take a look at just the amazing truths of this passage. And God, that this will be speaking to us to see how incredible it is that the Savior of the world, the Son of God, wants to know us and has come into this world to give his life for ours so that we might be able to have this relationship with the living God. I pray that these words um, just would jump out to us today and that our hearts would be open to what you have to say to us. We love you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to see three things in this passage that we just read this morning. First, we're going to see that relationship with Jesus transforms. I mean, that's a simple statement, but that's the heart of what the gospel message is when it comes to Christianity and having a relationship with God. Having a relationship with Jesus is transformative. Second, we're going to see that this transformation gets noticed. It is unmistakable that this woman is different than she was before. And that's what happens when we come to have a relationship with the living God. And finally, we're going to see how this transformation doesn't just stop with being noticed, but it actually increases in a really powerful way. So we're going to see those three things in our passage this morning. So first, what does it mean that relationship with Jesus transforms? Um, we started in verse 27. Last week, we read the first 26 verses in this section. And what we saw there, a few key points from the first 26 verses of John chapter 4. We saw that Jesus goes to Samaria, a place that ethnically, racially, would have uh, already some uh, conflict with him being Jewish and Samaria being a place where many people were of half-Jewish descent. And that meant there were different ideologies, different thoughts that people had to wrestle with that often led into conflict between the Jews and the Samaritans. And so the woman at the well, being a Samaritan, Jesus meets her in this place. And what we said was, for all of us, if you have a relationship with Jesus, I think we can look back and think, wow, it's really amazing how all the circumstances played out exactly how they did for me to begin a relationship with the living God. And I think that's true for all of us who know Jesus here in this room. And then we also saw how he addresses the painfulness of her situation head on. 
And a lot of times for us, when we want to kind of put on our best face and smile and pretend like no one notices when we're in pain, and we don't have a, a, just a, an appropriate way to talk about the things that are hard for us, sometimes we go about life just hoping that no one will notice that anything's wrong, and let's just get through the day. The woman went to the well at the hottest hour of the day, not at a time when all of the other women would go in a group because she was an outcast from like her society. Because of the brokenness of her relationships, the failed marriages that she had experienced, it all talks about that in the first half of this chapter. And that's why she's going at the hottest hour of the day. She's hoping to go and draw water so that no one will bother her, no one will notice her, and she can just go on about her day. And then we saw how in the conversation that Jesus has with her, which was already so amazing to her that someone would come and speak to her. Because remember, she's going with the idea, hopefully no one notices, I can just get my water and get out of here. Jesus not only has this conversation and addresses her pain head on, but he also says, I am seeking true worshipers, people who will worship in spirit and in truth, and I am the Messiah. And at this point in Jesus' ministry, he hadn't revealed his true identity to too many people. Yes, he had done some very striking miracles, but people had questions about who he was. But here he says to this woman specifically, I am the Messiah. He invites her to be one of the worshipers that he is, seek that he is seeking. And so those are some of the things that we've seen in the first half of John chapter 4. And so now when we get to verse 27 in the passage that we read this morning, we can see how this interaction that this woman has had with Jesus changes her. And we'll see how in just a moment. Notice what she does. She sets down her water jar in verse 28. The whole reason she went at the hottest hour of the day, so no one would notice, to go like and draw water. It's a location where it would be very hot. Water would be an important resource. She actually leaves her water jar. The only reason why she would come to this place to begin with, she sets her water jar down and leaves it because there's something more exciting to her in that moment. And what is it? In verse 29, she says, Come see a man who told me everything I ever did. So on the one hand, she goes to the well in the middle of the day so that no one will notice her, no one will bother her, she won't have to talk about her personal situation. But then what happens as a result of her meeting Jesus? First, she leaves her water jar, but then she actually goes and talks to people the very thing she was trying to avoid by going to the well at the middle of the day. And the fact that Jesus had sought her out and ministered to her in her pain and asked her to be a worshiper of the Savior it changes her. Changes her to do what? She says in verse 29, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? And now in her conversation with Jesus, obviously she wasn't trying to volunteer any personal information, but when Jesus asked her for a drink in the previous section, he, he says, go and call your husband because he knows her situation, and that's why she's there in the middle of the day by herself. And yet here, when she says, come see a man who has, to who has told me everything I ever did, the very thing she's trying to hide from everyone else, now she's saying it in a way to try to get people to come and meet this person that she met. Quite the difference. It's a night and day change from how she, uh, how she was when she left for the well that day to this point and this moment. As I was studying this passage with uh, Auntie Rosa, one of my mentors, she said, imagine how her emotions were 
that morning when she woke up in the pain of her situation, like hoping, oh, I hope no one recognizes me or, or sees me. I just want to get my water and get out of here. And how different it is now at this point that she is saying, come and see this man who's told me everything I ever did. He's seen everything, but for whatever reason, he's not treating me as an outcast from society. He knows all of my deepest, deepest, darkest secrets, and yet he seeks me to be a true worshiper of his. It's a really amazing thing. And that's why she started off not wanting people to notice her because she didn't want to see people, uh, she didn't want people to see her for the broken and failed relationships that she had had in her life. But now she wants to get people's attention. Talk about transformation. She's different now. She can't help but speak about meeting this man that she has. I asked, do you have that friend who, like, when the subject comes up, their favorite subject, like, they can't shut up about it. It's like, you know, I think about the things that I will have endless conversation about that gets me excited, like things like sports, or I can tell you, I can walk you through mentally how all nine of our Bret Hart basketball games went, the situation, like, in the game, and, like, how, like, you know, what happened, and what were the circumstances, and what was the score at halftime, and I realize there are all these, like, details that I can remember because it's something that's important to me and something that I enjoy doing. And yet when I read this passage, I shared, you know, we preached on this, these John chapter three and John chapter four and decided to come back to it. Um, But over New Year's, I remember reading through this and I thought, man, there are so many things that I get excited about talking about and for good reason. And it's not something that like, I think I don't need to do, but it really made me think when I saw this, does my excitement kind of rival this woman who's gone through like really crazy life circumstances and yet wants to tell people about Jesus. And when we think about the the things that we get excited about talking about, hopefully we can see that for this woman, what was life-changing for her in what must have been an incredibly lonely situation for her throughout her life, now she is completely different. She doesn't wait for someone else to say, hey, who is that Messiah-type figure who's been doing all these crazy miracles over all this time. She can't wait to go and speak to other people. She's previously been avoiding everyone, now wanting, but now she's wanting to tell everyone about him. And I think this is a really wonderful picture of what Jesus says when he says, I'm seeking people to worship me in spirit and in truth. There is something so true, so authentic about her desire to go and tell people, come meet the Messiah, come meet the man who showed me everything I ever did. It's a true effort by her to want to talk to others about the Savior of the world, the Messiah whom she has just met. Um, There's a long section that I want to say a little bit about, but just for the sake of time, we're not going to go into great detail about it. But if you notice in the middle parts of this passage, starting in verse um, 31, Jesus has this um, conversation with his disciples, and then it kind of goes into this farming analogy. Now, we're here in the heart of Silicon Valley. We don't know how farming works. My brothers at Operation Dawn know how farming works. I get to do it with them like on a weekly basis. It's good stuff. Like we would all, I think if we all went out and spent time in a garden, like trust me, it is like so good for my soul. Um, But what it shows us is it teaches us a lot about hard work and patience and how like you might plant a seed one day and then over time, like eventually it's going to grow into something and you might be able to harvest it. But it's a really interesting conversation that Jesus has with his disciples. 
They first they start talking about food. Remember, they had gone in, they had left Jesus alone at the well because they went into the city. The well is outside the city um, to go and search for food because of the travel traveling they've been doing. And then um, in and when they say, Rabbi, eat something in verse 31, he responds by saying, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. And this is a theme that you see in this section of John. In John chapter 3, the most fam- where you see the most famous verse in the world, for God so loved the world, he gave his only son. Jesus is trying to help Nicodemus understand what it means to be born again. And he's trying to help him see a spiritual reality. And here with the woman, at the start of Jesus' conversation with her, he's talking about living water and trying to help her understand what that is. It's not physical water, but it's something that will satisfy her, that will quench her thirst eternally. And so here, when the disciples are focused on physical food, Jesus says in verse 34, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. And I think that's interesting because like, even though they've traveled a long way and probably there's some physical hunger, I think the fact that Jesus had this really amazing conversation with this woman made him stop and forget about like, whether or not he was hungry. And why? Because there was a greater priority at that moment. After church, we're going to have our Mexico yard sale to support our Mexico team. And I realized in planning it, I almost forgot, oh man, it's like during lunchtime and we're not serving food yet during the pandemic. So we better make sure that someone's going and picking up some pizza for us so we don't starve. And like, you know, while I do believe God could supernaturally like provide like the spiritual sustenance to like give us the motivation to like go ahead with the whole fundraiser without eating we still want to eat some food. So fortunately, one of the parents is going to be bringing Costco pizza for us. And um, little did I know, other people are bringing food because that's just the amazing part of how our church works. But in this moment, Jesus is focused not on the physical, but on the spiritual. And that's a theme that you see over and over again. But it's also important for this reason when it starts to use this language about harvesting. Because Jesus says to them, don't you have a saying, it's still four months until harvest? I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. Even now the one who reaps draws a wage and harvests a crop for eternal life so that the sower and the reaper may be glad together. And when Jesus, if he's speaking spiritually to Nicodemus about new birth, to the woman about living water, to the disciples about what his food really is to do the will of God, When he says the harvest is here, it's got to have some significance to the change that is going on in the woman's life. And the reason for that is when you think of a harvest, you think, okay, you plant a seed, you water it, it takes time. There's some physical truth to that. Sure, anyone who's done like gardening or knows how that works, that's a normal part of just how things are. But really what it shows us is how what has happened in the place of this woman has changed instantly. It wasn't like he needed to like, you know, water the water the seed a little bit and then after like months and months, then maybe there's some spiritual growth. And I think that's a really important truth for us to see here when Jesus says the harvest is ripe. It's ripe because the power of God can work instantly as it does for this woman. Jesus graciously kind of interacts with her regarding the pain in her life. She realizes, she says, I can see you're a prophet of some kind. But then when she realizes that he's the Messiah, that he's the Savior, it brings this instant change, which changes her into a person where she can't help but go and tell other people about Jesus. There wasn't this long growing season, even though that might be true in a lot of other situations and circumstances, she's changed instantly. 
And Jesus is saying, the harvest is ripe. And that's what it means. And that's why, because of this instantaneous change, she's gone into town. And when she was trying to get everyone not to notice her, she says, come see a man who's told me everything I ever did. It is literally a night and day change in her life. Why? Because she met Jesus. And so that shows us that the, genu- the genuine faith that this woman is showing isn't something that needs to be doubted just because it happened in a short period of time. But it happened because Jesus truly is the living water, as he's talking about. And so that's what we see uh, going back to what we saw last week in the passage, that because of this invitation Jesus gives her, he knows her past, he knows all the ways her life has been broken, has been just affected by sin, And yet he calls her to worship in spirit and truth. And because of that, she's changed. And that's what sets her free to go into town and say, come see a man who has told me everything I ever did. That leads us to the second point for this morning. Transformation gets noticed. Um, I was telling Greg this this morning when I walked in. Like I was thinking, like, what is something that you notice that's different? And maybe you haven't noticed this, but and I didn't notice it when I walked in this morning. But several months back, I shared with you all how we had a break-in at our church. And this window here had the boards over it, right? And I thought, oh, man, what a perfect sermon illustration. I can point to, like, the boards and say, like, we all noticed when it was a change. And then I got here, and I looked at it, and I was like, wait, what? Why is the, why is the glass there again? What happened? And I asked Greg, what happened? He said, oh, yeah, we put the window back in yesterday. Like, yesterday? Uh, Oh, man. I didn't notice it on Friday then, so there's multiple times. But anyway, it's like it was such a big change because when we we walked in that morning and we saw all the broken glass, it was like, man, something's out of the ordinary, right? When something is different, it is very easy for us to notice. Like, it's just a natural part of life, that thing, that, that we notice things. Um, Anytime there's a change in appearance or a change in situation, we notice. And originally, this is what the woman was scared of. Like she had gone through failed relationships that people took notice of, and that's why she's going to the well in the middle of the day. And yet, here, as people had noticed her in the past, as someone who had been through uh, just these things that resulted in her being a social outcast, she's now saying, look at my life. It's different. Why? Because I've met this man, this Messiah, this Savior figure. And this is really amazing because what this shows us is there are key figures in our lives where we see a change in someone else that I think helps explain our spiritual growth. I shared with you all last week, when I think about the circumstances that led to me really like actually taking my faith seriously, it was because like I had said no to going to youth retreat time after time after time until Greg showed up at my house with the forms. And I also remember I was talking to Daniel about this week about like, you know, we how long it took me to actually enjoy like loving God's word and reading God's word. I remember so many times where Greg would ask me, like, I enjoyed hanging out with Greg, you know, like the in and out part and the video games part. But then like, I remember how many failed attempts there were on his part, say, hey, Dan, do you want to get together and read the Bible? And even though I loved coming to the youth group and people kind of looked at me as a leader in the youth group, I was like, no, I'm, I'm good, Greg. It's okay. Like, but I think about his persistence and how that was something that was important to him, where over time, as I grew up, I realized, man, Taking God's word seriously does actually really make a difference. And I think for all of us, when we think about someone who has demonstrated life change in our lives, 
it's had a huge impact on us, right? Now, that is true for the Samaritans here. Why? Because of the testimony of the woman. If you think about the history between the Jews and the Samaritans, how because of the racial tensions and the different ideologies would lead both groups to conflict, it's nothing short of amazing that people here in this Samaritan area actually listen to this woman to go and meet this Jewish prophet. But I think the reason why they do it is because they see, like, man, this woman didn't want to talk to anyone. Like, why would, they, like, why would she now say, come, come with me? Like, she had been avoiding everyone, but now she's saying, come with me. Come meet this man. And not only that, but saying, like, come with me and meet this man, the one who's told me, like, everything I ever did. Like, the very most painful part of her life that she was trying to hide from everyone. She's like, no, come see this man who knew all about it and who I want to introduce you to. Transformation gets noticed. And that's what happens here in this passage because of how powerful it was when this woman met Jesus. And so when we think about this truth, the fact that when something changes and it's really powerful like this, we can't help but notice, it means a couple things for our lives. If we were thinking about how do we kind of apply some of these truths in this passage, um, it all... Uh, it all points back to uh, just how we might have come to know Jesus in our own relationships with him. I would imagine that just like these Samaritan believers, you probably had someone in your life who helped point you to Jesus. Someone who you saw a big difference in their life where you saw, man, their faith is authentic. It's real. It means something to them. Like, I want to know more. Like, if you've come to know the living God, I am sure there has been that person or people who have been a part of that transformation in each one of our lives as we've experienced that. And so if that's true, then what I want us to consider is if you know Jesus in this room, we can never underestimate when we might be this person for someone else. And we haven't talked a whole lot about the second part of this series yet, how God putting the lonely in homes or in families, means that we are a part of this community of new believers. But if we're saying we live in a time where we have been more isolated and more lonely than ever before, we cannot underestimate the power of how us taking our faith seriously can be the stepping stone where people might want to come to know who God is. And you see that that's true here for the Samaritans in this passage. If we've been changed by him in the way that this woman was, then we can never underestimate when we might be this person. And so it's very natural to see when something looks different. And that's especially true of faith and spiritual matters. And it was true in this case. And so like, if you are someone who are, is not sure who this living God is, and you want to have a relationship with him, what I would say is seek out someone where you know that their faith with Jesus is real and a part of their life. We might be wondering, like, how or when will God reveal himself to me? And we might think, man, it's like, it's actually something I've genuinely been, like, seeking, but I haven't actually experienced it. Find someone, like, I had Greg, even though I turned him down a million times when I was in youth group to meet up and read the Bible. Find someone where you know their faith means something to them and see how, like, see how they might be able to help you see how they've been changed by Jesus Christ. We don't know what that will result in, but I imagine it would be an amazing thing. And if we have had our lives changed by Jesus, this is the thing that really hit me reading over this passage, because it made me realize in all of the adjustments that we've had to make to church in the pandemic season, like 
stages of being on YouTube and being on Zoom and buying all this new equipment and setting it up at my desk and coordinating Zoom meetings, even though like I'd much rather see people's faces, all of the adjustments that take time and effort, like in all of the busy work things that the uh, pandemic age church has needed to just be able to run, it made me realize, have I lost sight of the joy of what it is to like tell someone else about Jesus? And the woman left her water jar, like the most important thing to her in that moment, going at the hottest part of the day to get water, which was super important, and hoping that no one would notice her. The fact that she didn't even care about her water jar anymore meant that there was something different about her. And it was powerful enough for other people, the exact people who would not want to believe in Jesus, to take notice. That's an amazing thing. And if we've had our lives changed by Jesus, Perhaps we need to consider what it means for us, spiritually and figuratively, to leave our water jars and to experience the joy of telling someone else about Jesus. And why is this such good news? It doesn't just stop there where you're like, man, this person, like, they're so different. Like, like how does that happen? And what like, amazing change could that lead to? That's why the three final verses we're going to look at really just like floored me when I read them. And I've been studying this passage with Auntie Rosa and others for uh, more than a month now. And so I shared with you all last week, it was not my idea, uh, my idea to preach on this. It was Daniel and his dad were like, we really got to preach on the woman on the well. But who's on the schedule for the next two weeks? Oh, it's Dan. Well, okay, I've got to, I've got to do it, even though I've already preached on it. And I've been reading through it for like more than a month now. But I think that's really a blessing. These three verses, when I first read them, was something that I realized. I've known this passage. I've grown up going to church. I've, I know a lot of the truths about the woman at the well. How did I not read verses 40 to 42 before? Or maybe I read it, and it's just like my mind skimmed over it. But how did I not see how amazingly powerful this is? And the last point for this morning is we see that this transformation, it doesn't just stop with noticing it in someone else's life, but it keeps on going. And that really hopefully shows us there's more to look forward to as we grow as disciples of Jesus Christ. There is an increase to the transformation that we see here. Let's read starting in verse 40. Or let's start in verse 39 so we get the context. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. And what this shows us is you may know someone, like the person that I'm trying to put in our minds of like, who's someone who we know their faith is like really authentic to them and someone I can seek to kind of give me this like this guidance to know who this living God is. For the Samaritans, it was this woman. Because they saw this change in her, which had to be substantial, they start to believe in Jesus because of her testimony. And the amazing thing about how our our relationship with God works and how we can grow with God is Like the help from a great spiritual mentor might be the starting point for us, but that's certainly not the end game. There's way more to look forward to. And that's what happens for the Samaritans here. So they go and they agree to meet this Messiah, this Jesus person. Why? Because of how different this woman's life was. But look at what happens next. Starting in verse 40. When the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them. And he stayed two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. And they said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves. And we know that this man really is the savior of the world. 
What this makes me think of is, I don't know, I think Greg gets uncomfortable when I talk about him like all sermon long. He's nodding his head, but I'm just going to keep doing it. The way I would think of this is during a time where my faith was in its like really elementary stages, I needed someone to carry me. I needed someone to like keep pointing me in the right direction. I needed someone to show up at my house with the youth retreat forms and say, all, all your mom has to do is just sign these things and then I'll come pick you up. It's like, you know, he wasn't taking no for an answer at a time in my life where I really, I shared with you all to this day, I don't know how I agreed to it. But the thing is, when you come to have a relationship with the living God, there will come a point in time where your faith has to become your own. So the vision of our youth group is what? Becoming real disciples of Jesus Christ. And the reason we say that is because many of us might grow up going to church with your parents the way I did, but there comes a point in time where it becomes real for you. And that's what happens for the Samaritans here. Why? This incredible change in someone that they knew that seemed very improbable was the thing that got their foot in the door. And they do what um, this is. This is this would be tradition, uh, like customary for people at this time. Like Jesus being a teacher figure, a rabbi figure, they would inv- invite him to come and stay with him and do some more teaching. And the result of that is now it's not just about the change in the woman's life, but now they've met Jesus for for themselves. It is an amazing interaction, Jesus and the Samaritan woman at the well. What John doesn't tell us, which I'm dying to know, is what did Jesus say to them in those two days that he spent this time with them? I wish I could have been a fly on the wall to hear those conversations and to see how a group of people who would have all the ethnic reasons not to believe anything that this man was saying or to stay in the conflict that had existed for generations and generations would now no longer believe just because of the change they saw in the woman, but something was changing in themselves. And if you're someone who you would describe yourself of, someone else is like a a, a mentor of mine or someone who cares about me spiritually is kind of carrying me along. I'm not saying that's a bad thing. That's a great thing because I realized the years and years where I needed that. But there's also so much more to look forward to in a relationship with God where someday it's not because someone else has made the effort, but it's because we realize, man, I have come face to face with the living God the way the woman at the well did. And I recognize that that's the best thing I could possibly experience. And so really, when I think about how we can apply this passage, this amazing story, it shows us that if you know Jesus, if you know that he's the Savior, and trust me, he knows you, all of just the, all of the insecurities, all of our deepest, darkest secrets, all of the things that make us feel like we would not be worthy to know the, the Savior of the world, the Messiah of the world. He seeks you to be a, someone who worships in spirit and truth. And if you know Jesus, then there's something way more exciting about going and telling people about, rather than all the things I can get excited. I think of all the long, passionate conversations I can have with someone about basketball, or golf, or K-pop, or Pokeball prices, all of these things, all these conversations you may have had with me over like you know recent times. Like I'm gonna still have those conversations, but really this is such a reminder to me. I want one conversation to matter so much more than all of those other things. Why? Because when we know the Savior of the world, when we know the Son of the living God, and how he loves us in spite of everything, every single way we've fallen short, and how he's chosen us to be a worshiper of his, there's nothing else like it. 
And we have no trouble maybe telling someone about our favorite whatever, fill in the blank, the way I describe my friend Jay with rock music. Um, I pray that we would find the ultimate joy of introducing someone to Jesus as that thing that we can't stop talking about. And it makes me convicted that there are many earthly things that I get excited about. But when I stop and I think about the excitement of someone coming to know who Jesus is, everything else pales in comparison to that. I'm really glad that this Friday we get to go on the Mexico trip. Um, And uh, one story I'll close with uh, reminds me of, I think, the truth of this passage. Um, I've told this story before, but it was before the pandemic, and a lot of you you know, may not have been here, and you know pastors recycle their stories all the time, so it's all good. But um, on one of our first Mexico trips, it's not the base that we're going to uh, this time, I remember being in a small group where we were praying after like a nighttime uh, where we had a really powerful speaker and uh, there was just um, a lot going on kind of in our minds about who God was. And I had a friend of mine, same, same age as me, who was on this trip, um, who really, uh, given his background, which like in different ways, I would say was like kind of the similar magnitude as, as, the, woman, uh, as the woman at the well. Like I have no idea how he ended up on this trip, but he was a good friend of mine and I was really glad he was there. When he realized that being in this place where we were talking and thinking about God, he realized it was something he really wanted for his life. And strangely enough, I don't know, this kind of thing always happens because this is how God works. But the last song we sang, How Deep the Father's Love, we were sitting in a circle listening to that exact song. Promise you we didn't plan that. Um, And so anyway, thinking about the lyrics of that song and how amazing it is that God's love for us really is that deep. Something must have hit him where he realized, I need to surrender my life to God. And we were sitting in a field. It's a different base than where we're going this time. Completely different location. But we're sitting in this field. And so we spent some time praying for him because we were all genuinely, I think, uh, just um, encouraged by the fact that this change was going on in his life at that moment. And the reason why this like, memory always comes back to me is because when we were done praying, Greg jumped up and raised both fists and let out a shout. And I've never seen Greg run so fast in my life because he started like doing laps around the field. Why? That's the same kind of excitement as what it must have been for this woman where she went and shared this excitement about who God was, because there's really nothing else like it. That's why I'm really glad uh, in all the craziness of what's going on in our world right now and all of the reasons why planning a mission trip has been very different, um, especially when you can't leave your room for a month and like actually meet with your team. I'm so glad we're going. Why is that? I realize today in 2022, with all the technology that we have, with all of the fears that we have, with all the uncertainty in our world, it is very easy for me to lose sight of the joy of telling people about Jesus. But when I can stop and think about my friend whose life was changed like in a really amazing way, or when I look at the truth that it must have been for this woman and how people took notice of that. And that, like, the amazing thing is not that it just resulted in a change in her life, but it resulted in a change in the lives of the Samaritans, the very people who had no business believing in Jesus at this time. Really an amazing thing. But that's because when our lives are changed by God, people can't help but take notice of it. And that's where I think we, we get to experience relationship with the living God that meets us in the loneliest places of our lives and our hearts. And that's what we need more than anything. So I'm excited. I, I really, I'm overwhelmed by people's support of our team. We're going to have a fundraiser um, after the service in just a moment. 
Um, and uh, after we sing our last song, um, in just a little bit, we're going to go over to the sanctuary um, because as a whole church, we're going to have a send-off for the Mexico team. And so in just a moment, uh, we'll go over there. Um, but I'm, I'm just thankful for the timing of this as I'm considering this passage and I'm considering how easily distracted I get from the most important and joyful conversation that we want to have with people about how God loves us, has found us, broken as we are, but accepts us and invites us to be worshipers of him in spirit and truth, and how that is so life-changing for us. And I realize I need every single possible reminder I can get to know that truth. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for your word. God, I thank you that the Apostle John just captured so vividly um, this story and how powerful it is. And God, I pray that we would see how this is such an important truth for our lives as well. God, I pray for everyone here who does not have a relationship with the living God, but who wants to know you. Lord, I pray that they, you would put someone in their life to help them see how good you are and how you are the key to all of our anxieties and all of the things that lead to our, our loneliness and our isolation. God, you, the living God, sent your son Jesus into this world so that we could be forgiven of our sins, so that we might be able to have a relationship with you. And Lord, for those of us who have known you for a long time and we've had a very similar, um, in our own way, encounter at the well, God, for those of us who have experienced the joy of what it looks like to set down our water jar and just be completely focused on telling people about you, Lord, I confess how easy it is for me to lose sight of that. And so, Lord, I pray that um, we would not uh, just wear that as a badge of shame or, oh my gosh, how could we have forgotten? But God, that we could see how you lovingly and graciously lead us back into the truth the way that you did for this woman and how we can see how we might be able to point others to the amazing ways we've experienced a saving relationship with you. God, really, your love for us runs so deep. And Lord, I pray that as we experience that, we would just be able to experience the amazing joy of sharing that with others. We thank you for this time. We love you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.